you flip open to uh, Revelation chapter 4. Somebody asked me what's, uh, what's uh, the um, Bible study about tonight. And I said, you know what? It's like, welcome to the throne room. So this is the first, this is the first, uh, you know, like, this is the first in-depth moment for us um, in the throne room. So we can read chap chapter 4 or chapter 4 and 5 um, and take it from there. But we'll, let's, we'll start with chapter 4. Maybe each of us can read... Um, Maybe each of us can read a couple of verses that we can go around. I can start. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne in heaven, and one sat on the throne. David or Mark? the stone set in heaven, and one sat on the stone, and he who sat there was like a jasper, and a sardius, stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne, in appearance like an emerald. I'm sorry, I don't know how to pronounce it. Emerald. 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 Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Around the throne, were twenty-four thrones, and on the thrones I saw twenty-four elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. Where are we reading to? Uh, we're, we're just reading a verse or two each. We're just going around. We're going to read verse chapter four. Okay. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal, and in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second living creature like a calf, and the third living creature had a face like a man, and the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures, each have, having six wings, were full of eyes around and within. And they, do, they don't rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever. The twenty-four elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. And I saw the right hand, we can read chapter 5 as well. And I saw the right hand of him who sat on the throne, a scroll uh, written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And the one in heaven on, on the earth, over the earth, 
was able to open the school or took it at it. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne, of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. When he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders bowed down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and hast made us on and has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. Then, then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom, and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the sea, and such as are in the sea, and all that are in them, I heard saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb forever and ever. Then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the twenty-four thousand elders fell down and worshipped him who lives forever and ever. Glory be to God forever and ever, amen. So, like we did uh, last week, why don't you just look over the the chapter briefly, or the two chapters briefly, and see if there are any words or terms or expressions that um, that you don't understand, and we can uh, discuss them. It's just so that we're all kind of on the same page, and then we can kind of delve deeper into the spiritual meaning of things. We're talking about 24 songs. And every throne has 24 thrones. I don't get it. So there's the throne in the center, and then there's 24 thrones around it, and on the thrones are 24 elders, and each elder is wearing a crown and has a bowl of incense, although I don't think it talked about the incense yet, but has a bowl of, of incense. What is the number 24 here? It's the first time I see 24. We've seen 12 and 7. Yeah, 12 and 7 seem to be very significant numbers. But all of a sudden, 24 is a significant number. So uh, what, do you, what do you all think? 12 was, I know, divine government. But yeah, uh, mm -hmm. 12 times. Uh, so 12, 2 times. I don't, I don't know what 24 means. Mm -hmm. The Lord may real that. I know some numbers, but mm -hmm. and um, what I wanted to share was um, I had heard ministry say a certain number once, 
And I thought, how did, how did they get these numbers? And you know what I did, I, uh, by the Lord, I went and looked where those numbers were meant, where that number was mentioned. And you know the Lord interpreted it right there in the scripture. The number that it meant was the, the, the actual meaning of it was put right there in the scripture. Because scripture seems to, it interprets itself. Like when you read mm -hmm. it, and I said, that's it. So people want to know numbers, look where every time it's used and then see what the Lord can make real to you. Mm -hmm. Amen. Yeah, that's a very good, that's a very good point, Larry. And often, like oftentimes, um, when we want to know the, the significance of a place, we've discussed this before, you can go and look up where was that place first mentioned, and you'll find the spiritual significance of that place. Well, 24 is not like a very common number, like in life, it, it, uh, you know, usually only has to do with like that there are 24 hours in a day. There, it doesn't re there isn't really much, much else significance to it than that. And I think what, what um, like the commentary that I'm reading is, is talking about is that there are 24 priests the word priest is a is a kind of like Anglic, anglicization like like made english of the greek word which is presbyter and the word presbyter means uh, talked about this before maybe a couple of times in uh, intercessor right oh, right so around god's throne is intercession which is happening around the clock. Like Jesus, yeah. You know, Amen. Mm -hmm. right? Yes. So this idea of like constant intercession. Intercession, what is intercession? Prayer on behalf of others. Praise the Lord. Yeah. You know? Mm -hmm. So I think that's kind of like the spiritual, a spiritual, you know, uh, interpretation of why why are there 24 uh priests around around the throne makes sense yeah. if i might say this if it's okay but colors names numbers mean in uh mineral mean something in the word because god doesn't do things capricious he by the holy spirit knows mm -hmm. and another great scripture if any of us was ever thrown in jail, if we knew the scripture, the Romans 1 and 20, everything in the natural uh, God created is to show us something spiritually. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure, I'm sure of that. God is, Praise like you Lord. said, like yeah. what you said, God is not capricious. Yeah. It's not, just doesn't do things kind of randomly. He knows the, the Holy Spirit knows exactly but what heard, the I Word heard, of God means. I heard also like the 24... Uh, like number usually some like like sometimes significance like the the twelve twelve pride of uh, tribe of Judah Amen. and also the twelve yeah. apostles like the combined both the marriage of both yeah yeah they, they combine both like the Old Testament and New Testament together yeah the marriage of both of the New Testament and the Old uh, of all believers yeah, yeah. I'm not sure this is making significance here or not yeah. And I, I've I've seen like in 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 icons I've seen where they will paint the the twenty four elders of all different nations, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, so like you know like uh, uh, 
like Caucasian and African American and Chinese and uh, Southeast Asian and so on, uh, just to show that point. You know, like like all pe all people of all time who worship God. You know, there's another contemplation. So. What are the seven spirits of God? Hmm, excellent. So last time we talked about the word seven, and we talked about how seven is like the, like it's like a factor, right? Like it's indivisible, yeah. right? You can't divide seven and get a whole, a whole integer. Perfect. Perfect. Prime. Pardon? Prime. Prime. A prime number. There you go. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Perfect number. Yeah. Perfect. Um, so then that's where we kind of get the idea that the, the perfect, uh, like the perfect number. Um, and so, um, or complete, yes, you know, the word perfect and complete mean the same thing in, in all the early languages, yeah. right? So here it says all the spirits of God. But what does it say about these seven spirits of God? Do you remember what it are seven lamps. Yeah. yeah. Now, now compare that to... Seven churches? Yeah. What did it say in, in ch chapter one? He was walking in the midst of seven lampstands. Yeah, which seven are seven the... Churches. Seven churches. So before, it was the two chapters, it was the, the seven lampstands were the seven churches, but now the seven lamps are the seven spirits of God. Is this a contradiction in scripture? If A equals B and A equals C, then what is another conclusion that you can arrive at logically? B equals C. B equals C, right? So the Spirit of God is... The fullness of the Spirit of God is present in the fullness of the church. Yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah, and if you go back to... John 17, the high, high priestly prayer, the intercessory prayer of Christ. Jesus says like what his greatest desire in the whole wide world is, right? And he says that his desire is for them to be one, right? As you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us and that the world may believe that you sent me. Right, so our, our uh, the 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 wholeness or the union of the church is where God has put the wholeness and the fullness of His Spirit, which is like kind of a little bit uh, hard to imagine that the Spirit of God could be contained. You know that the uncontainable would choose to put the wholeness of Himself. You know, and that's what we say in the Cyrillian liturgy, right? We say, uh, we say like, uh, we call him the uncontainable, speaking about the Spirit of God, and we say, "He who fills all, yet nothing can contain him." You know, so um, yeah. So he, the head, Jesus, the head, and then the body is the is the, the church. The fullness of God. Yeah. yeah. Well, fill it all in all. But just for me, I found it like to be honest, I'm just like I'm, I'm I'm just struggling to not understand like understand it, but also like to to read it like when we read like seven spirit and like with capital S, 
like you feel like God is as only one spirit, like the Holy Spirit. Like yes. it's hard, it's hard to imagine like you know God has seven, yeah, just and also like four. It's like why about just four? Yeah. Well, it doesn't have like a physical one, but like he, like he, he looks like it. It's Where's like nine, seven points and seven eyes. I'm sure they're significant. They symbolize something. Like seven. Wait a minute. Seven. Seven eyes. Where's that? Oh. Chapter five, verse six. No, five, verse six. You're, you're talking about the lamb. Oh yeah, the lamb. The yeah. Lamb. Yeah. Sorry. No, that's okay. Yeah. yeah. So you're talking about the lamb. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as though he had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Where is that again? In uh, chapter 5, verse 6. Yeah. Verse 6, let me find it. Oh, yeah. In but, the midst yeah, of the is, throne make sense now, and of the four beasts in the mid elders. Because isn't it in the Old Testament to like the high priest used to like hold, like for example, like I'm just taking this off in comparison. Yeah. Uh, the high priest, like the Jewish high priest, they like, uh, they like, for the forgiveness of sins, they uh, they uh, they scatter or they sprinkle. they sprinkle the, the the horn of the like of the like the sacrifice. The like, horns of the altar. Like the horn of the altar, yeah. or like yeah, they, they they don't hold the horn of animal or something before they like. Uh, no, they, so they so animals. for the sin offering, uh, for the sin offering, um, they will put their 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 hand on on the head of the animal, okay. and they confess. When they confess their sin, and then, and then they they slaughter the animal, uh, and some people see this as sort of like a transference of the sin onto the animal, but that's not that's not our that's not uh, that's not what we believe. Identifying with the sin, yeah. Identifying with the sin. So the lamb slain slain here is you could say the lamb slain for the foundation of the world, right? Even for the foundation of the world, the Lamb was slain. Yes, yeah, because God is outside of time. Yes, yeah. And uh, so it says, so, but four, is, four is like creation, like four. Yeah. See, because that's how you get that, is the four corners of the earth, four, every time you find four, 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 four. And that's like the number of creation, four. Four, you know, four uh, seasons, four, 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 so yeah. many fours, it's wonderful. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but what's, what's, the point which you make here is that this looks, this looks like a little bit of a strange lamb, you know, he has seven horns and he has seven eyes and so on. So one obvious message that is being sent to us is that, is this a normal lamb? No. No, right? It's very clear, like this is not some... Yeah. This isn't some normally occurring biological creature, right? So this is this is a special this is yeah. a special lamb. Now why does he have seven horns and seven eyes and so on is is a is a different story, right? Jesus says the lamp of the body is the eye, right? And he says if the lamp is dark, how much greater will be your the the darkness, right? Like if if, if the lights on the ceiling, Jesus is telling us here, they spread darkness. Like you turn, you turn the light, the switch on, and the place gets darker. How great will be that darkness? What's Jesus talking about? 
like uh, someone thinks it's a, the light is it's really uh, they think it's dark the darkness they see is really light but it's really darkness so it's not even it's not real light it's because in yes. God it says God says in him dwelleth no darkness at all yes precisely so what Jesus is talking about right Jesus is talking about is like the spirit if the spirit in you is a, is a spirit of darkness how great will be that darkness if what is supposed to like open your eyes and enlighten you and what is supposed to give you an ability to see and to learn and to know is making you more, more ignorant how ignorant will you will yeah. you be yeah. right yeah. Yeah. i can't remember yeah, which one of the fathers is the one is the one who says that but um so uh, so here, when he says that he has seven eyes, it's alluding to the same thing, the seven spirits of God. And again, this, like, when, we're talking, when we use the word seven, we're not referring to the finite number seven. So that then, and that would be, and that's where you'd feel like, well, how can God have seven spirits? He is one life-giving spirit, right? But seven as, as infinity. Like infinity is like, the largest number and is an and is no number at all at kind of at the same time right auntie sue like you were telling us like positive infinity and negative infinity meet you know sorry they meet. yeah they meet right you know so infinity is isn't uh it's not a it's not a it's not a it's not a definable number you know what i mean it's not countable it's not a countable number yeah that's a that's a much better much more eloquent way of saying it you're doing biology or something? Innumerable. No, like the angels. Yeah. Math. Like, uh, God changes a number that can't be numbered in Hebrews, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's something. Yeah. What other questions came up? If, um, if you want, um, there's this really uh, nice uh, thing uh, called the Bible Project, and they um, actually made a video about the Book of Revelation. And now would be a probably a good time to um, to watch this first part. I've been waiting to like for the right moment. Um, so we'll just try to get it to connect. It was connected a minute ago. Here we go. Um, so. We're, 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 we're getting into the prophetic part of the book. So there was an introduction, and then there was the letters to the churches, and then there is this prophetic part of the book, and then there is the conclusion, which is like the marriage of the Lamb. And this prophetic part of the book is three sets of seven. And we saw here a scroll with seven seals, and then the sixth seal is going to lead to seven trumpets. And then the seventh trumpet is going to lead to seven bulls. And they're going to use the analogy here of, you know, the little Russian wood dolls. Like you like, you know, like you, you, you open one doll and you find another doll. And then inside that doll, you find another doll. Like, like, so there are seven seals and then there's one scroll with seven seals. And then the seventh seal has seven trumpets. And then from the, the seventh trumpet is seven bulls. Right. Um, so anyhow, they, they've done a really good job with this, like as an illustration. So I figured, you know, we can just watch it together and it just gives us a framework, like just gives us a, a, a framework to kind of um, place all of these thoughts.
Oops, sorry. Sorry, I don't know why. Let's try this. Is this gonna take forever? No, it can be very quickly. Maybe it'll play better in the dedicated app than from Safari. One of my uh, pre friends who's a priest, who was like an engineer and did a lot of IT stuff for uh, Bombardier, um, was convinced that um, Satan has a... IT degree. <laughs> Not that people who do IT, no, just that people who do IT for churches have competition. No, not that people who, not that, um, I know what you mean. Yeah, not that all people who have IT work for the devil. That would be the opposite. I, I, I would start with that sentence first. <laughs> yeah, he's confusing, yeah. Cut off, eh? Well, I think your friend is right up there. <laughs> yeah, seriously, eh? Uh, the voice is coming from We'll give it we'll give it um One more uh, chance, and then we'll. Uh... <laughs> Why don't we stream from the computer itself? We could do that too. Started off okay. The Greek word is apocalypsis, and it refers to a type of literature very familiar to John's readers from the Hebrew scriptures and from other popular traditions. Apocalypse has recounted a prophet's symbolic dreams and visions that reveal God's heavenly perspective on history and events, so that the present could be viewed in light of history's final outcome. And John says this apocalypse is a prophecy. Which means it's a word from God spoken through a prophet to God's people, usually to warn and comfort them in the time of crisis. By calling this book a prophecy, John is saying that it stands in the tradition of the biblical prophets and is bringing their message to a climax. 
And this apocalyptic prophecy was sent to real people that John knew. The book opens and closes as a circular letter that was sent to seven churches in the ancient Roman province of Asia. Now, seven is a meaningful number for John. It's a symbol of completeness, based on the seven-day Sabbath cycle in the Old Testament. And John has woven seven into every single part of this book. Now, with this opening, John has given us clear guidance about how he wants us to understand this book. Jewish apocalypse is communicated through symbolic imagery and numbers. It is not a secret predictive code about the timing of the end of the world. Rather, John is constantly using these symbols that are drawn from the Old Testament, and he expects his readers to go discover what the symbols mean by looking up the text he's alluding to. Also, the fact that it's a letter means that John is actually addressing the situation of these first century churches. And so while this book has much to say to Christians of later generations, the book's meaning must first be anchored in the historical context of John's time, place, and audience. Which brings us into the book's first section, Jesus' message to the seven churches. John was exiled on the island of Patmos, and he saw a vision of the risen Jesus, exalted as king of the world. And he was standing among seven burning lights. And John's told this is a symbol of the seven churches in Asia Minor that's been adapted from the book of the prophet Zechariah. And Jesus starts addressing the specific problems that face each church. Some were apathetic due to wealth and affluence. Others were morally compromised. Their people were still eating ritual meals and sleeping around in pagan temples. But others among the churches remained faithful to Jesus, and they were suffering harassment and even violent persecution. And Jesus warns that things are going to get worse. A tribulation is upon the churches that will force them to choose between compromise or faithfulness. By John's day, the murder of Christians by the Roman Emperor Nero was passed. And the persecution of Christians by Emperor Domitian was likely in the way. And so the temptation was to deny Jesus, either to avoid persecution or simply to join the spirit of the Roman age. And Jesus calls them to faithfulness so that they can overcome or literally conquer. And Jesus promises a reward for everyone in these churches who does conquer. Each reward is drawn directly from the book's final vision about the merit of heaven and earth. And so this opening section that sets up the main plot tension that will drive the storyline in this book. Will Jesus' people endure? Will they inherit the new world that God has in store? And why is faithfulness to Jesus described as conquering? The rest of the book is John's answer. After this, John has a vision of God's heavenly throne room. He describes it with imagery drawn from many Old Testament prophets. Surrounding God are creatures and elders that represent all creation and human nations, and they're giving honor and allegiance to the one true creator God who is holy, holy, holy. In God's hand is a scroll that's closed up with seven wax seals. It symbolizes the message of the Old Testament prophets and the sealed scroll of Daniel's vision. These are all about how God's kingdom will come here fully on earth as in heaven. But it turns out no one is able to open the scroll. Until John hears of someone who can. It's the lion from the tribe of Judah and the root of David. He can open it. These are classic Old Testament descriptions of the Messianic king who would bring God's kingdom through military conquest. Now, that's what John hears. But then what he turns and sees is not an aggressive lion king, but a sacrificed bloody lamb who's alive, standing there, and ready to open the scroll. Now, this symbol of Jesus as the slain lamb is crucially important for understanding the book. John's saying that the Old Testament promise of God's future victorious kingdom was inaugurated through the crucified Messiah. Jesus overcame his enemies by dying for them as the true Passover lamb so that they could be redeemed. 
Because of the resurrection, Jesus' death on the cross was not a defeat. It was his enthronement. It was the way he conquered evil. And so this vision concludes with the Lamb, alongside the one sitting on the throne. And together they are worshipped as the one true creator and redeemer. And the slain Lamb begins to open the scroll. It's a symbol of his divine authority to guide history to its conclusion. Which brings us to the next section of the book, the three cycles of seven. Seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven bowls. And each cycle depicts God's kingdom and justice coming here on earth as in heaven. Now, some people think that the three sets of seven divine judgments. So, uh, so pause like in your mind now. We'll continue watching it. But pause in your mind now knowing that like today we're going to kind of end sort of, uh, we're going to sort of end at the, like, like before the seven seals start. Right? Just at this kind of image of the throne room of God. But well, you keep watching it because it's such a, a... Can I ask a question that's yeah. my mind right now? So he said, like, uh, the Jewish, like, had in their mind, like, you know, that this, uh, this Messiah would, would come and conquer, right? Mm -hmm. uh, this was, like, through, like, a, like, a pro like prophecies? Mm -hmm. but, I mean, like, was, like, in that case, like, was God was misleading his people? No, not at all. Because here, because he... Also, like in the in the, this is what our our new Sunday series is going to be about. Is it's it's uh, is gonna, it's all going to for now, like for the rest of uh, for the rest of the the fifty days, we're going to be talking about victory and conquest, right? Um, coming from the the verse that Saint Paul uses in Romans chapter eight, verse thirty seven says, "For we are more than conquerors through Him who died for us," right? And so. What is, the, what is the conquest of God? What is the great victory of, of Christ? His death and resurrection. Like the great, like forget about like theology and like biblical studies and all that. What is, what is the great victory of Christ? His victory over death, right? And, and, and then in, 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 the, in, the, in the, the hymn of the resurrection, like, you know, we say that he conquered death through death, right? And St. Athanasius says that death died through death, right? So that's like, the, the Old Testament prophecies were not misleading the people to say that he will conquer, right? But, he, but his conquest is not through killing other people, but rather through accepting himself to die as a, as a means of resurrection. Does that make sense? Yeah, hundred percent. The reason, like, yeah, I, because, like, when you put like this, uh, like, like, uh, like a picture or figure of like a horse, or like it comes through like an army to conquer. I felt like I'm not sure, like, what, like, I'm sure there's like tons of prophecies spoke about Jesus and his coming. But I'm saying, like, was it a specific prophetic that it means that he's gonna go like through war, like through war, and he's gonna conquer, like, with an army and. And save his people on earth. So that's why, like, Yanni. but it could have just been their interpretation yeah. of the prophecy, right? But, so the prophecy could have been saying he's gonna come and conquer. But like, if when I think conquer, all I think of is war and aggressiveness, because that's the context of where I live. And every time I've experienced any type of conquest or visualize it, that's how it's been executed, then obviously when I hear mind. a prophecy, yeah. then I'm going to assume, I'm going to relate that to what I know and to what I've observed. So I think it was just their interpretation of the yeah. prophecy. I don't know if I'm right. I'm just yeah, that's, exact, uh, that's exactly uh, what I was going to say. Yeah. A lamb, uh, we had a lamb, someone rescued a lamb in uh, Mississippi and the rats ate it to death. And it, I don't even think we heard a peep or anything. 
but then you go in Revelation, it says the wrath of the Lamb. That got to be a spiritual word, because the Lamb's nature is no wrath. But that's Jesus coming back as conqueror then, because of the wrath of the Lamb, you know. Because mm -hmm. now he's, he's got the Son coming back. Uh, first he came as a Lamb, led to the slaughter. Now he's coming back, a lamb again, the wrath of the lamb. Like, it's awesome to me. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you need to touch on that. Like, um, yeah. God will return with all his glory. So yeah. maybe those prophecies are not talking about the first coming of Jesus, but they can literally, I don't know, I guess we'll read about yeah. it, but they can literally talk about the second coming of Jesus, yeah, right? The second coming, um, yeah. Because he's going to conquer in a different way. Mm -hmm. Yes. So yeah. that's really interesting. So we'll just keep we'll just keep roll we'll just keep rolling because I just found that this was a re really good to just kind of give us um, context, yes. you know, um, yeah, just like a like a background. Sometimes when you can see the whole picture, you can um, you know you can see things more clearly. Of course, the same issues we were having before are happening again. I think oh, here we go. Perfect. Three sets of seven divine judgments represent a literal linear sequence of events that either happened in the past, or could be happening now, or are yet to happen in the future when Jesus returns. But notice how John has woven all the sevens together. So the final seven bowls come out of the seventh trumpet and the seventh seal, and the seven trumpets emerge from the seventh seal. They're like nesting dolls. Each seven contains the next seven. Also notice how each of the series of seven culminates in the final judgment, and they have matching conclusions. So it's more likely that John is using each set of seven to depict the same period of time between Jesus' resurrection and future return from three different perspectives. So the slain lamb begins to open the scroll's first four seals, and John sees four horsemen. It's an image from the book of Did you get what he said? Like, he's saying that, um, he's, he's saying that there, there are, like, like three, it's tempting to see the, like these three s sets of seven as like one that leads to another leads to another, right? But they all end up leading actually to the same conclusion. So the, the, he may be describing the same thing from different perspectives mm -hmm. rather than a, a chronological sequence of things, which is what we've been talking about for several weeks that forget about chronology, like forget about things being in order and chronological order and stuff like that in the book of Revelation. Other very contemporary uh, interpreters have read this as uh, these seven, 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 seven as uh, three different eras, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and they're using this to try again to predict like when are the end times and so on. And we agreed from the very beginning that that wasn't the model that the, the early church ever took. Like there are none, none of the early church interpreters like try to predict when the end of the world would be using the book of Revelation, so that's that's not the model we're going to take either, right? The, but the, just like the seven, the trumpet. That's trumpet. What is that? That's a message, right? So that's a message. or an announcement. Yeah, yeah you know, now the trumpet, trumpet was... would stand for a message. Mm. So when it says the the trumpet, it's a message from God. Right? Yeah. yeah. That's how that stands. Right. That's a symbolic. And they symbolize times of war, yeah. conquest, famine, death. 
In other words, a tragically average day in human history. When this seal depicts the murdered Christian martyrs before God's heavenly throne, and the cry of their innocent blood rises up before God like smoke from the altar of incense, and they're told to rest because more Christians are yet to die. We're not told why, but we are told that it won't last forever. The sixth seal is God's ultimate response to their cry. He brings the great day of the Lord that was described in Isaiah and Joel, and the people of the earth cry out, who is able to stand? And then all of a sudden, John pauses the action with an intermission to answer that question. John sees an angel with a signet ring coming to place a mark of protection on God's servants who are enduring all this hardship. And he hears the number of those who are sealed, 144,000. It's a military census, like the one in the book of Numbers, chapter 1. There are 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, pay attention. The number of this army is what John heard, just like he heard about the conquering lion of Judah. But in both cases, what he then turned and saw was the surprising fulfillment of those military images in Jesus, the slain lamb. So when he sees this messianic army of God's kingdom, it's made up of people from all nations, fulfilling God's ancient promise to Abraham. It's this multi-ethnic army of the Lamb who can stand before God because they've been redeemed by the Lamb's blood. And now they are called to conquer, not by killing their enemies, but by suffering and bearing witness just like the Lamb. After this, the seventh and final seal is broken. But before the scroll is opened, the seven warning trumpets emerge fire is taken from the incense altar. It symbolizes the cry of the martyrs and cast onto the earth, bringing the day of the Lord to its completion. Now, with the seven trumpets, John backs up and he retells the story again, this time with images from the Exodus story. So the first five trumpet blasts replay the plague sent upon Egypt, and then the sixth trumpet releases the four horsemen that came from the first four seals. But then John tells us that despite all these plagues, the nations did not repent, just like Pharaoh did in the Exodus story. So it seems that God's judgment alone will not bring people to humble repentance before him. Then John pauses the action. Just pause here for a second, because Abuna Tadros kind of reiterates again and again and again and again that you're going to hear like the wrath of God and then the seven bowls are the seven bowls of the wrath of God that are poured out until the fullness of the wrath of God is poured out onto the world. Abuna Tadros explains again and again and again and again that this isn't like we don't understand this as God is so indescribably angry with the world or indescribably displeased with the world. But he, he, but he is that the ang- anger of God is similar in nature to the anger of uh, to us when we get angry. I.e., it's in intense. Like if we if we like look up like the the these things that like are so mm-hmm. hard to like define, right? But like if you like look up like just the, like the dictionary, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, definition of anger, you're gonna get like. Well, let's look it up. But it just, right? A, a strong feeling of annoyance, displeasure, or hostility, right? So elsewhere, I'll say like like an intense uh, and like uh, uh, emotion of uh, uh, is that better? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, uh, an intense uh, emotion of displeasure, right? Uh, is probably. It's probably the, the part that is similar to God. When God is, has anger, he has an intense displeasure. But God is also very active. Like, he's not very passive. 
So that displeasure transforms itself into an, an intense moving force to bring repentance. That's what Father Tedros is trying to tell us. Like, like this is now this is the end, right? So now like 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 God is not gonna, you know, like I told you once, I told you twice. Now I'm now I'm gonna do like angry stuff. The, the, right? Now I'm not like I'm I'm gonna do there's no there's like this is this is the third time, there's no fourth time, right? So it, it doesn't escalate past this. With this, you're either gonna repent or you're not going to, right? But what is the ultimate instrument to bring us to repentance? Like what is like if if you if you like many people have told me, I really want to repent, but I just I don't I'm not feeling it. Like like I I'm honestly I'm not feeling what would you say to that person? What are you talking like about I want to feel. I'm just. I, I'm just. Uh, uh, I'm talking about what is the what is the thing that brings us to repentance the most? Not. I'm not looking for a uh, spiritual, like a hyper spiritual answer. Just from a practical perspective. Goodness of the Lord. Yes, in Romans chapter two, it says the goodness of the Lord. But, like, from a very practical, simple perspective, right? Death, either my own, yeah, either my my own death. Sometimes that can kind of like move me to to to, to some seriousness. Sometimes I'll tell people, "Have you watched the Passion of the Christ recently?" You know what I mean, right? You know, like when I see like how deeply Jesus suffered, you can't help but be kind of like, "This is someone who is repenting cognitively and in action because they're coming and they're you know they're coming, they're repenting, they're coming for confession, but they're not, but." Like they're saying, I don't feel it. So they want, they want some emotional impetus. You know what I mean? There's nothing, there's nothing more powerful to, to repentance than the cross, right? Than yeah, to see, yeah. than to see, the, than to see, to experience, to know, to interact with, the, and like the cross, the fullness of the love of God for us, right? Mm. So, so this is something, sorry, I just finished the thought, Larry. Oh, so, no, no, not at all, not at all. Yeah. So, so, um, so this is this is kind of like what Father Tedros in, in his commentary is going like repeating again and again and again when we see like the seven seals and the wrath of God and the seven the seven uh, 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 trumpets and the wrath of God and the seven you know like that the 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 ultimate what was God's ultimate desire like in the people of in, in the seven plagues of the people of Israel like what did, what would God have ultimately what would it have been a better outcome than for the people of Israel to cross the Red Sea and the and the the, the Egyptians to drown in the Red Sea? Mm -hmm. Well, a better outcome would have been for Pharaoh to be like, "Oh, gee, I'm not God. You're God. We should all worship the one true God." Repent, yeah. right? And y'all are free to do whatever you want. But thank you for bringing us, bringing us to the knowledge of the one true God, right? That would have been a better outcome than for, for God to triumph over Pharaoh. So the purpose of the plagues wasn't for, for, for God to kill Pharaoh because God wanted to kill Pharaoh, right? It was for God, a revelation of his love. And that's what we've talked about before when the question has come up multiple times, like when it says, and God hardened Pharaoh's heart, like, so did like, like God just wanted, he just wanted an excuse to fry Pharaoh. So, so he hardened mm -hmm. his heart so that Pharaoh would harden his heart. And then 
Not at all. God revealed, God revealed himself. And as he reveals himself, we choose what, what either to draw closer or to draw away. Like we've mentioned. The same with the people, like the sailors. Not the, not the people of Nineveh, but the same with the sailors of Jonah. Yes. Like, like, as, they, as they saw, they were in the tempest. They could have said, what, what kind of wicked God is this, right? But rather, they worshipped God and offered sacrifices. You know? So it shows that, that and they were pagan, yeah. right? But they were pagan, but when God revealed himself, they, cho they chose to draw near to God rather than to draw away. So, but this is like the, in, in the book of Revelation, it's kind of making the, 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 the it's kind of making the, the, like the statement that this is, this is the, the last, the last revelation of the love of God, of, of the person of God, you know? So it's, God isn't saving, like he, he doesn't have, he's not saving one last card in his back pocket to play you know like some card games you know like like I'll, I'll always save one card for the end you know like no this is this is it this is the last this is the last card right but its purpose is not like like uh, vindictiveness or vengeance or in in that sense of of anger right but an intense his his intense displeasure with our broken communion which leads him to an intense desire for our communion for our return to him yeah he's not willing that any should perish but that all, all should come to the knowledge of the truth yeah. Yeah. Yes. then john pauses the action again with another intermission an angel brings the unsealed scroll that was opened by the lamb and just like ezekiel john is told to eat the scroll and then proclaim its message to the nation Finally, the land scroll is open, and now we will discover how God's kingdom will come here on earth. The scroll's content is spelled out in two symbolic visions. First, John sees God's temple and the martyrs by the altar, and he's told to measure and set them apart. It's an image of protection taken from Zechariah chapter 2. But then the outer courts of the city are excluded, and they get trampled down by the nation. Now, some think that this refers literally to a destruction of Jerusalem that happened in the past or will happen in the future. But more likely, John's following the tradition of Jesus and the apostles, who all used the new temple as a symbol for God's new covenant people. In that case, this is an image about how Jesus' followers may suffer persecution by the nations, but this external defeat cannot take away their victory through the land. This idea gets expanded in the scroll's second vision. God appoints two witnesses as prophetic representatives to the nation. Once again, some people think this refers literally to two prophets who will appear one day in the future. But John calls them lampstands, which is one of his clear symbols for the churches. So this vision is more likely about the prophetic role of Jesus' followers, who are to take up the mantle of Moses and Elijah and call idolatrous nations and rulers to turn back to the one true God. But then, all of a sudden, a horrible beast appears, let the reader remember Daniel chapter 7, and the beast conquers the witnesses and kills them. But then, God brings them back to life and vindicates the witnesses before their persecutors, and the end result is that many among the nations finally do repent and give glory to the Creator God in the day of the Lord. Now, stop. Think about the story so far. God's warning judgments through the seals and through the trumpets did not generate repentance among the nations, just like the Exodus plagues only hardened Pharaoh's heart. 
But the lamb, he conquered his enemies by loving them, dying for them. And now the message of the lamb's scroll reveals the mission of his army, the church. God's kingdom will be revealed when the nations see the church imitating the loving sacrifice of the lamb, not killing their enemies, but dying for them. It is God's mercy shown through Jesus' followers that will bring the nations to repentance. This surprising claim is the message of the open scroll that John has placed at the exact center of the entire world. After this, the last trumpet sounds and the nations are shaken as God's kingdom comes here on earth as it is in heaven. So now we know how the church will bear witness to the nations and inherit the new creation, but who is that terrible beast that waited for? So again, the end of the seven... Uh, the end of the seven trumpets is this mighty day of the Lord. So all of all three of these things bring about the mighty day of the Lord, right? For God's people, and how will the whole story turn out? John will tell us in the second half of the book of the Revelation. Wow. That's the end. So there's two videos, and then the. Um, but we'll kind of just pause there. I just kind of wanted to give you What's like the, the sorry. What's the video? It's just the Bible Project, and they have videos about all kinds of stuff. That's uh, really well done. Yeah, yeah, it's really, really well done. Um, and then, and they, and this this comic strip that they make, you can download it and you can print it, and yeah, yeah it's really, really well done. Um, I actually want to. I'm thinking to use their materials in the in September for us to study the. The entire Bible, beginning to end, like it's using amazing. using their materials. To but, me, the real suffering Jesus suffered on the cross was he wasn't worried about mm. the physical pain because he suffered from the very time that he, after he started growing up, he learned suffering by the things perfection. He was perfect, made perfect by the things he suffered. But the suffering he really endured on the cross was made sin. He was perfect holiness before, and, and you know, he never knew sin. And here he was separated from God. Like, you made sin, who was so holy and so righteous. We didn't, you know, to me, because even when Huss, you remember the, the story, he was going to be burned the next day. And someone asked him, so, uh, uh, give, me a, give us a sign. So... That night, he, he put his hand in fire. Ah. But he said when he was being martyred, like he was burning, he gave a sign, Victor. What he's saying is, I'm not feeling nothing. And I know by the apostles I know meant that these martyrs, they were just caught up to God. They didn't feel anything. But So Jesus suffered, I believe, he endured pain. But you know like this centurion says, this truly was the Son of God. Peace. Jesus was not when his he was not like um, like he like Apostle Paul. Like you know what I mean. He didn't. I don't think he screamed out like human normal human. He was yielding to the Lord, and um, he he endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. But like he when he on the he wasn't hanging on the cross like any other human. It was a different, because there was others being crucified with him, but he, he said, I, I, in my hand, I send my spirit into God. Mm -hmm, you know? mm -hmm. So he, he, uh, Paul rejoiced. He said he rejoiced in the suffering. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think 
and that's where it says in the Philippians, he says, know the re his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. Because you need the power of God to be able to endure the suffering. Mm -hmm. Without God, you know, you know, humans just back down. Crumble under that yeah. kind of suffering. Yeah. So what, now, like, we're, you know, it's, it's time to kind of wrap up a little bit. But what, what is the message for us tonight in Revelation chapter 4 and 5? What do you think? I remember the verse. Uh, say it in Arabic. I'll try to translate. Uh, whoever endures to the, the end, end shall be saved. Shall be saved. Yeah. That's just in a summary of what I was. Yeah. But we haven't in Revelation chapter four and five. We haven't like started to open the seals and <laughs> hear the trumpets. We haven't heard like. Four and five is all good news. <laughs> we haven't we haven't gone into the the plagues and all of that yet. Now we're four and five is all we're in the throne room, right? We're in the throne room, and around the throne are the four living creatures and the, and the twenty four elders, and they're praising, saying, "Holy, holy, holy, Lord God Almighty, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive." power and glory and honor for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created and then a little later when the the scroll comes out and the lamb and who can open the scroll and then the, and then and then they cry, they cry out again and they sing a new song now and they say you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and you have redeemed us to god by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. And then later on they say, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And a little further they say, Blessing and honor and glory and power to be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. All, all of this, like, like all of this is full, full of glory. And you know when we were talking about chronological periods before, like, you know, before the incarnation, from the incarnation to the second coming and after the second coming, the first vision uh, in chapter 4 seems to be like a timeless vision, you know. It's, but the second one, the lamb has been slain, right? So it, it seems to be, you know... For us, again, just to place these things somehow, like what is happening in the throne room, but sort of chronologically after the, the, the death and resurrection of Christ. You know, again, God is outside of time and all of that stuff that we talked about before. But to help to kind of give us to place this, right? I'll tell you the truth. I oftentimes read these two chapters. I oftentimes read these two chapters when I need a reminder of the glory of God. We know in Revelation chapter 1 that John saw him who sits on the throne and he fell as dead. But what is it that he saw that paralyzed him? What is it that he saw that, that, that made him just so incredibly astonished that he just fell before God as dead? You know? Here we have like a beginning of a glimpse. You know? A beginning of a glimpse 
of the glory, the magnitude of the glory of God, right? And here we see that, like, it's no wonder that the fathers say that, like, in the, in the presence of God, there's nothing but praise. Like, there's nothing to do but praise. Even, like, when they're at, like, they're saying, who can open the scroll? The Lamb can open the scroll. No one says, well, okay, great, the Lamb can open the scroll. What's in the scroll? Nobody says that. Everybody says, glory to the Lamb who can open the scroll, right? You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and, and have redeemed us to God by your blood. And they praise and they praise the Lamb, right? These are like chapters of praise and of glory and of glorification, you know? And I tell you the truth, I tell you the truth. There's a real strong temptation, and I prayed a little bit about this. There's a real strong temptation to take every detail and to try to find its meaning. And I'm not discouraging you from doing from doing that but don't do it at the cost of reading the book of revelation as a spiritual book it's a book it's supposed to it's supposed to bring us into the full into the presence of god and into his glory and in heaven to enjoy heaven right so imagine like i enter heaven and i enter the throne room and i'm standing in front of the throne and it says like the the throne like like has all of these different gemstones in it you know like like amethyst and jacinth and all of these chrysolite and all of these things and i start asking and i see god in the fullness of his glory and the fullness of his love for me and ask him but why emerald god why not this like why seven why, why seven why not eight what i mean like, yes, all of this stuff has meaning, and I want you to enjoy the depth of the meaning of the tiniest details. But, not, but don't forget to take a step back and enjoy, experience it. And enjoy, like, yes, every leaf on every tree has meaning, and, every, and the, the vein patterns on each leaf on each tree have meaning. But don't forget that they're part of a forest, and that, that, that the story of the forest is at least equally as beautiful as every tiniest the meaning in every tiny and every tiny detail so we can get lost in these little details and forget like and forget like take a step back and look look at the throne and the and the and the four living creatures and the 24 elders and all of this glory and then now I want you now like you're standing and you you've 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 come with me and you've accepted this in the journey to take a step back and to enjoy all of this glory. Now do the unthinkable thing with me for a moment. Hi, hi Fetty, hi Ben. Now do the unthinkable thing with me for a moment. As you are in this as you are in this moment and enjoying all of this glory. I want you to just turn around now, turn your back to that, and look at the things that we have considered and call glorious in this, in this world. Money and, and pleasure and, and, and notoriety, like fame, right? Aren't those like the three temptations of Christ, the three descriptions of Eve, 
of, of the, the fruit on the tree, the three things St. Paul says will be at the end of the world. Like, that's it, right? Like uh, George taught us, Basilius, when he was here, the th- there are three things that have been described in more eloquent terms as, as, as hedonism, humanism, and materialism, right? It all boils down to that. The world, yeah. You could have... Okay, now imagine to yourself all of the pleasure of the world. Okay, so look at that for a moment. Now turn around again and look at this vision of glory. You have one in hand. All the pleasures of this world or this glory that is described. There's no comparison. The glory, the glory of, in Revelation chapter 4 and 5, they, like, they blow it away by a landslide, right? Or, or all, the, all the fame and all the notoriety of this world and everybody knows who you are and everybody thinks you're amazing and everybody worships you on social media and every... Right? That or the throne room. Right? Or materialism. Like, like Jesus says to, to... Satan says to Jesus, if you bow before me, I'll give you the whole world. Like... Not like I'll give you lots of money or I'll give you I'll give you everything. You'll be like the owner of everything. Like this kind of the ultimate materialism. It all pales. It all pales in, in the sight of the glory of this, of this God. Right? The glory, the quality of being like God. That's what, that, what glory means. It means the quality of being like God. Yeah. So that's what Jesus wanted. Yeah. Quality of you know, uh, the seven natures, the, the, seven, the, the seven spirits, you know, all what God is, you know, all powerful, all knowing, all seeing, that's glory. Well, that's glory. Yeah. Uh, the fullness of the joy, just, uh, I've heard people said when he's appeared to some people, they just laugh, he was just laughing and laughing at certain times, laughing and the joy was immense. So that's kind of what I encourage yes, you. Sir, you sir, yes, you, oh yes, please I go ahead. You, you told this like yeah, story. Yeah, I heard it like hundred times. That I love always hear it. It's like the story is like I know the shepherd and I know the song. Like when somebody asks him to chant something, he don't like I don't know the song. I know the shepherd. You remember? Oh uh, yes, 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 yes. But just in that context of like knowing, like knowing the words of God literally, or knowing, or knowing him as a person. Yes, yes, yes. Sorry, there's a story the that I there's a story that I read um, where this uh, where where this really this 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 really famous well known uh, uh, I think missionary or evangelist was like at a some function you know uh, and there were a lot of like there were a lot of like very uh, there there were. Uh, a lot of like very uh, uh, learned people there, uh, uh, like theologians or whatever, right? Uh, uh, and um, they act like they they ask somebody like they, to say it, like to speak and to say a word about uh, Psalm twenty-three, uh, the Psalm of the Good of, of the Shepherd, right? And so. Uh, you know, he's like, so he's, so somebody got up and they started talking about all these, like, you know, like ancient languages and all of this. And they said all of this very interesting, like information about, about it. And then somebody like, 
else, you know, spoke and, and, and then they asked this, this guy to speak and he said, like, he got, he said, like, I don't have, like, a lot of information like these people do, uh, but let me tell you about, let me tell you about the Good Shepherd, right? And he started to speak about him and people were really moved. So afterwards, they asked him, like, where, where did you get this knowledge? Like, you didn't quote anybody or reference anybody. And he said to them, like, like I, I don't know, like, a lot of, like, I don't have a lot of degrees or I don't have a lot of knowledge, but I know the shepherd. Like, I know him, you know? And that's what I encourage you to do. Like, last time, we, like, I encourage you to, to go home today, uh, like, like last week and read the letters to the churches and ask yourself what message is the Lord asking you you know for you to like what and what does God want you to repent and what reward is he as he prepared for you you saw that it took us about like three and a half minutes flat to read Revelation 4 and 5 I encourage you tonight to go home and light, light like light a candle and sit in the dark with God uh, or whatever con whatever environment is 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 moving to you you know and sit and enjoy enjoy revelation chapter 4 and 5 um the repentance leads us to glory then glory when we see the the glory of god here we are moved to to do something and in the next chapters we're going to see what god is doing because he feels like it's impossible for him to leave us where we are. He must bring us to repentance. So, but before we go there, before we go into the, he who endures to the end shall be saved, uh, right? Before, before we, we get to the, to, to the trials and the tribulations and all of that, God is, wants to give us a little foretaste. He wants to give us a little, you know, a little taster. Right of of the glory which is prepared for us. So my taste my your, your homework, yeah, is, yeah. your homework is to taste and see, like Larry is saying, the Lord is that good. the Lord is good. And I have a song like that too. Pause for pause for a moment and just enjoy, enjoy how glorious and how rich and how beautiful um, God God is. Glory be to God forever and ever, man. In the body.